podcast focused on lessons learned via the musician's backstory, as well as building successful careers in the business. My name is Allison M., and I'll be interviewing artists and industry experts and offering insights based on events Wisconsin Music Ventures has produced. Let's get down to business. On this episode, I am so glad to have here in the studio with me, Aisha Jaffer. Aisha, great to see you. Yeah, for the first time. I know. Yes, <laughs> Aisha. I'm, yeah, she's someone that I've gotten to know uh, quite well over the, the quarantine um, throughout COVID. And we are now in April 2021. And we have never met, once met in person. It's, you know, that's just how it's been for so many people over, the, you know, throughout the last year. But someone in our network, Jen, uh, I think introduced us and said, hey, if you don't know each other, you got to know each other. And. And uh, yeah, we've been we've done a lot of Zoom meetings and phone calls, but never in your life. So yeah. thanks for coming here. <laughs> yeah, thanks for having me. Yeah. So Aisha Jeffer, how should I like tell me what do you go by? What, what do you say you are? A common question. I don't know. Uh, I guess prolific, prolific arts creator curator uh, it's hard to say because it's i have like so many different sections of what i do so i guess general like arts and media director creator okay. curator yeah i don't even know the answer Creators. to that yeah i mean yeah creator uh someone who makes something happen empresario i don't know i love that empresario <laughs> What are you hustler that's right hustler that's even better i like that too Impresario, hustler, all of the above. And so you have been in the music world, uh, in the music business, really, since you were a teenager. And um, I love learning that because actually way back at, around that time, I think we even had some mutual friends. And I, I didn't quite know you, but we ran in some of the same circles. And that was one of the fun things that we discovered. But, I mean, tell us more about, like, how did you have that drive and learn that drive? Well, I always joke that, like, at that age, I was smarter then than I am now. And I feel like we kind of all are. Like, that's our raw selves. Mm -hmm. I don't know. I love music. I love being around it. Um, I was taken to this teen center that no longer exists in Waukesha with a whole bunch of punk rock kids. Mm -hmm. And that kind of pushed me to out of my element. Mm -hmm. So I grew up mostly, like, hip-hop was my bedtime stories. And then when, when I got to be a teenager and got to be out in the world, it was the punk kids who kind of had that same element of you know, being themselves, telling their stories um, and and kind of expressing themselves creatively in this way. So I would run in this circle in this teen center. Like a lot of creatives were, were there, um, people with ideas and opportunities, even at the young age of 13. Um, you know, there was lots of things going on. So I would jump. They'd be like, hey, we need a drummer. And I would just like figure it out and drum for a band mm -hmm. there. Um, and I did meet a guy there, and his name is Christian, who had a record label. And he was like, hey, Aisha, you seem to know all these bands that are coming up in Milwaukee. And he asked me to own, like, 50% of the record label. Really, wow. I was a yeah. teenager, so it was, yeah. dumb. It was like 49, 51 or something. Yeah, yeah. Um, but that was Snapdragon Records, which was a Milwaukee record label that did eventually get sold. It even has a Wikipedia page. What? Which I didn't know until I Googled myself, like, a couple of years ago, and that popped up and I was like, oh my goodness, it, it did it. Yeah. 
Um, but at 13, you know, so people recognize me in this in this scene. I would go to local shows, VFW, Short Legion Halls, um, whatever was all ages that I could go to and support all the bands locally. And someone one day asked me, hey, you know all these bands. Can you create a battle of the bands for Relay for Life and raise some money? So I figured out how to book a venue how to uh, get contracts for bands to find sponsorship, which I think was like the biggest pizza in Wisconsin, like from Pizza Shuttle. Right. It was like the winning prize or oh something. Oh, my gosh. Um, and, and put this all together, get a sound guy, door guy, bake some baked goods to make more money. And at the age of 13, I'm now 34, uh, I made like over $1,000 for yeah, the charity. That's crazy. So from there, that venue owner was like, wow, you got all these people together. Can you start booking shows like once a month? So I started doing it there at Shorewood Legion Hall. At, um, there was a place in West Dallas, Turner something, not Turner okay. Hall. Yeah. Um, and I just, that was my high school job. Yeah. And you were how old again? 13. That's crazy. Yeah. Yeah. That's amazing. How did you know all those bands like you know, it, at that time? At I, that I think that it was a mix of... It was a mix of going to shows at that teen center at these VFWs mm -hmm. and Shorewood Legion Halls. I think Shane Call used to have all ages mm -hmm. shows too. To... Um, to Sonic Bids was a big thing back then. That was like the EPKs mm -hmm. for bands. And MySpace, of course. <laughs> MySpace. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. MySpace connected me to even the first band that I ended up managing. Okay. So, wow. Yeah. That's right. The good old MySpace days. So so at 13, though, you couldn't drive. So how were you getting from place to place? Um, I had... What happened that I got? I had friends, I think, that took us. Oh, my, um, parents, too. Parents yeah. took us to the teen center. And then um, I went to school at Milwaukee High School of the Arts for a while and made some friends there. And my friend's mom, Gail Vela, I'll holler at her. She's uh, my other – she's like my music mom. She would kind of cover for me because my mom said I could go to shows if – someone's mom you know chaperoned or something yeah. so I always said Gail was there but she never was and she once <laughs> got a call from my mom saying thanks for taking my daughter all these shows and she was like I you need to tell me when I'm covering for you <laughs> but thanks to her I got to go to all these shows um, that's amazing. sneakily but I did <laughs> I love that and I mean yeah you, you wouldn't be who you are you know without that no so way yeah that's amazing oh does your mom know about that now nope <laughs> <laughs> <Hmm>. <laughs> not gonna tell her <laughs> All right. Well, we'll keep that that secret under our belt here. Uh, so, and, and you're a musician yourself? Yes. And so tell us what you play. So I play guitar. Of course, I DJ and um, I play the drums and I like to program and I'll play with all those like weird little instruments like the accordion and the stereogram mm -hmm. and harpsichord and Of course, whatever. you play accordion. <laughs> like, I mean, who says, who says that? I mean, not well, but the guitar is my main. Yeah. And of course, DJing is my other main. And I and of course, and I like to sing too. Okay. Um, I have always been like in love with punk as my genre, but. Um, you know, I've dabbled a little bit in Americana because New Zealand was really big in that, and which is ironic and, and different <laughs> now that I say that out loud. Right, right. Um, <laughs> being an American and going to New Zealand for Americana music. Um, shout out to Marlon Williams, who's an amazing artist there. Um, and also, I really want to try. I've, I mean, I grew up with hip hop, so yeah. my 2021 goal is to try to make a rap song. 
and Luxie uh, here in Milwaukee has made some beats for me. So we'll see. We'll call it Scux yeah. times Lux. But yeah, I play guitar and I sing in in my main band um, that I'm known for called Scux. Yeah. Which is a slang term that I did not name my band. It's a slang term in New Zealand. It means like play a gangsta, like really cool person. <laughs> <laughs> and um, it just came from us talking about the origins of this, this slang word. And they thought, wouldn't it be funny? It looks like a punk word. Let's name your band Scux. Yeah. I like it. I like that story. And uh, and we'll get to the New Zealand part in a, in a little bit. But so what did you do after high school? So where did you like so how did what was your path after that? So if you remember those like swooped hair, like emo bands, yeah. like The Refused and Hawthorne Heights yeah. and Guster. So I loved all that stuff. Taking Back Sunday for sure all the way. Um so I had a friend who knew someone at Victory Records who pretty much had all of those bands under their roster mm-hmm. and is based out of Chicago. I went to school at Columbia College in Chicago. Mm-hmm. And so that person linked me to a promotions internship at Victory Records. Nice. Um, so I got to see what that was, like music business firsthand. Uh, you know, there was like the, the demos that were actually cassette tapes and mm-hmm. CDs, like walls and walls of them. Um, I was sending out like promo materials to radio and, um, you know, venues, which is mm-hmm. a very old school thing. And we were doing like listening parties and band hangs and going to shows. But I also took that mentality, all these shows that I threw in Milwaukee down to Chicago and did it in the way of like gaining, uh, gaining mailing list names. Mm-hmm. So I created a mailing list and found secret like warehouse spaces or art spaces and lofts and created huge, um, different kinds of parties. It was like dance parties that would have hip hop. It would have dance music. It would have DJs. It would have performance artists, um, and put it all together and a thousand plus people would show up. Mm -hmm. So I continued to do that along with my time, um, being a promotions intern. Mm -hmm. So when you say your creative mailing list, um, at that time, was it like home address mailing list or was it like email or was it, what was it? Just email, just email. So I'd meet people Mm -hmm. and I'd be like, oh, just give me your email. Mm -hmm. We're going to have a party or we'd email other people and gather more yeah, emails. Yeah. It wasn't know. like MySpace names or anything like that. No, 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 no. <laughs> Although that's hilarious. <laughs> that would have been, I mean, but, but that was still coming. Th- I mean, that was still a big th- thing at that time. Like, oh, yeah. yeah. I mean, were you doing promotion uh, through social media at that time as well? Or was that still kind of on, on the newer side? Yeah, that was on the newer side. So yeah, no, not really, it was just yeah. mailing list word of mouth, which I still think to this day is the most powerful yeah. way of getting the word out because it's more personal. I agree. And, um, you know, not to get too, too much off of that topic, but, um, yeah, we had a, we had an episode on here where we just talked about like e-news for musicians because a lot, that's a, that's a real, um, you know, item that's missing from a lot of their own personal campaigns that I think that they could do. And, and so we talked about those who are doing it and doing it well, because yeah, agreed. It's, it's, it's such an easy way to get to, to people that is like social media. You just can't track, you know? Yeah. Um, but yeah, thanks for bringing that up. And so what did you do after, um, after college then? Well, in college too, I actually oh, was yeah. a, I did a lot of stuff. I did, um, I was the college marketing rep for Universal Music Group. Nice. And what that meant was we got like 13 releases and these releases are, are releasing their new albums from all of our different labels and subsects. Um, they're also coming through your market. So Chicago, um, and what are you guys going to do creatively? So this this type of marketing doesn't exist like formally anymore, but it'd be like grassroots marketing. Listening parties don't really exist anymore. And we did that band hangs. And my thing being like the young kid was like lifestyle mm-hmm. partnerships. So mm-hmm. I'd get like 
uh, my favorite thing that I ever did was Q-Tip. Q-Tip mm-hmm. had a new record. It's like my favorite record. Um, and he... I paired him up with this local designer called Juggernaut, who still Mm -hmm. exists in Chicago. And we did like a band hang questionnaire. And he was, I think he was five hours late, but here's the power of this artist, like maybe five people left in that packed house Mm -hmm. that whole time. Uh, And it was such a meaningful kind of experience. So we're creating meaningful experiences with Mm -hmm. these artists coming through. Of course, we're doing the old school thing where they signed posters giving those away on contests for radio, but also like putting them in like actual record stores and making Mm -hmm. sure those big panels, those big POP panels were Mm -hmm. in there to be like, new record by Q-Tip. I also did Kanye with the glasses, that creation of the glasses. I'm sorry, I was part of that. Um, But he was in Best Buy and I remember the lines like going like four times around for his record graduation. So I also got to do that in college and I worked at the student programming board in the college just, you know, booking spaces, which was a great opportunity hands on from like 150 capacity doing anything from poetry slams to uh, movie screenings all the way to 30,000 capacity big music festivals and producing those as part of the college. So I got a lot of experience in that time and a lot of connection utilizing it to the best of my ability to dive deeper into music and see which way I wanted to go in it. So how did, so what made you decide what led you to, you know, ultimately like management and that kind of thing? Yeah. Well, actually, you know, I, I started, uh, with shows. Mm -hmm. So I love booking shows and producing Mm -hmm. shows. I still love that. Mm -hmm. Of course, like it starts from like that 13 year old Aisha to Mm -hmm. college. Um, my first paid job out of college was the Windish Agency, which is now Paradigm. Mm-hmm. Um, but Tom Windish had kind of dominated Chicago. And there was this partnership between Biz3 Publicity um, and Pitchfork, where we would sign a band and Pitchfork would talk about it. And um, Biz3 would take it on as a PR client and vice versa. Pitchfork would talk about a band, we would sign it, Biz3 would take mm-hmm. it. So we kind of got the scene kind of coming up together. Um, and those were bands like Animal Collective was a huge one. Um, to now they have like Lord and they have huge mm-hmm. bigger bands, which now of course has made them expand from Chicago to New York to Canada to LA to now just being absorbed by Paradigm. Mm-hmm. I don't obviously know what the set is now in the pandemic, what that looks like, because shows of course have been on pause, but mm-hmm. I think that's still the case. So, mm-hmm. so I got to be part of that. I was the agency associate and kind of in-house tour manager. I created the internship program and I kind of taught them how to like, here's the website, let's feature this mm-hmm. artist kind of, mm-hmm. you know, you know, what they use the young kids for, they're like, don't understand mm-hmm. this, you do it. Mm-hmm. So, That's uh, so cool. So that was my first. Yeah. And and then the management thing happened because I realized I didn't want to be a booking agent. I understood it. I saw it. I'm more of a hands-on person. Mm-hmm. I'd never done artist development, but mm-hmm. I had I'd, I'd always been, you know, asked to work on things. My Well, I did manage one band. It was French Horn Rebellion, who are a Milwaukee band. They were my first band ever. Yeah, that's um, great. And I met them through MySpace, and they played one of my underground shows in Chicago. And, that, and we met in New York, though, at CMJ, but reconnected for that show in Chicago, and then I ended up managing them for a while, which, of course, they still have a career, a long-standing They do. Career. I've heard them. And I, I mean... I, I mean, I think you know this, but my main instrument is French horn. So I like, as soon as I heard them on the radio, I'm like, no way, this is ridiculous. There's no (laughs) way is there like a, a, like a band with a French horn on 88.9 or like, you know, wherever they were being played. (laughs) 
Yeah. It blew me away. Yeah. World renowned. So yes. you can make it in the pop sphere, yeah. indie sphere with uh with French horns. And your band name at that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but uh yeah, so at Windish I was I didn't think I was I wanted to be a booking agent, so there was a band I loved, Cut Copy, mm-hmm. and I knew the manager. He was really lovely. His name is Neil Harris, mm-hmm. and he had a job opening, and I was, like, very persistent that I would love to be that person and mm-hmm. that I'd be the perfect person for it. And I annoyed him to death about it, and he said, well, you can have this job if Tom Windish, owner of your company, says it's okay. And it took maybe, like, four closed-door meetings because he thought it was, like, I didn't – he took it personally, of course, because we were all very Mm close-knit. It was, like, a small group of us at the time. Um, And then realized it was just that I – that wasn't the type of work I wanted to do. And then he was, like, okay, if you help – if you bring some stuff to the new New York office, then you can move to New York and Mm -hmm. and work with Neil as um, an artist manager. And that really – that's how I, like, started my career as Mm -hmm. an artist manager. Nice. So, and you you kind of fell in love with it? Yeah, I did. I, it's a lot of hard work and a little bit of luck that I think gets artists to the next level. Um, And I do think people think artist managing is like this amazing, glamorous job, but it really is just as hard as any other, if not harder. Yeah. Because you have to want to eat, breathe, and like sleep that artist. Yeah. You're number two, they're number one. You're trying to make their dreams come true. And it's like, you know, it's a lot of work. And then maybe you get that 15 percent glamour which is a lot of fun but you're also I always reference this when someone's thinking about becoming a manager because it is it is hard um is that movie love actually yeah where you know in the end he's uh the manager is like looking to his artist and his artist turns to him and he's like actually it's you I love (laughs) because it's true it's that that close of a bond and and that's where you you kind of end up Oh, that's very well said. Yeah, that, that's awesome. Um, so, I mean, who are some of the artists that you've worked with? So with Neil at Punk to Funk, mm-hmm. it was Cut Copy, uh, Dragonette, Free Energy, Architecture in Helsinki. Um, and then now sometimes I help around with Sophie Tucker in the royalties mm-hmm. um, work that they do there. Sophie Tucker's incredible artist. They just continue to deliver. Um, and then from there, I actually moved to New Zealand. Mm-hmm. So I wanted to move to New Zealand to be like a normal a young person and like go see the world. Yeah. Um, but what actually happened is Neil knew had one friend in New Zealand, Scott McLaughlin, um, who had an artist he needed help with. And I think I said no like a bunch of times. I was just like hiking and I was like on an island and I was just being a kid, like yeah. trying to like explore and have a good time. And um, he kept calling me to like, it's like, can you help me with this artist? You're the only pop manager with that experience in the country can you please just help me mm-hmm. and after like three or four times I was like all right I want to stay in New Zealand longer so for six months I'll help you with whatever artist this is you're talking about and that ended up being Lord yeah, and so that's crazy. I think I was there from day of release of music into the world to the end of that first record cycle pure heroin so that was like two and a half years of Zero to a million. Yeah. So that's crazy. So did you know who? It, I mean, did you know who she was at the time? What What, what was it like? No, I was checked out. I yeah. was like, I I'm taking a break from music. I'm you know worn down and I want to. I think it was 26, so I just wanted to like chill out and yeah, <laughs> just be a real girl. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, almost <laughs> retire for a little bit and mm-hmm. just you know just enjoy and just. just take a break from the industry and yeah because yeah, you were in it for so long already at that point yeah just, it's it is high stress and you know high anxiety but 
uh, and then just a lot of work when you're in it at the level that you that you have been. So truly, yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. But so I mean, what was it like working with Lord? Yeah, I mean, she is an incredibly smart, um, well, you know, level-headed, um, well-adjusted little human mm-hmm. at the time. I mean, she's not a little human anymore. She's, <laughs> she's a woman. She, I mean, she was a woman then too. Uh, but she's smart. Um, she did things differently. And I think she did things more honestly. It was like, mm-hmm. I, I describe Ella as like the first introduction into honest pop. <laughs> and so I think that's why she cut through to legendary status right away. I mean, she would come back from a trip and be like, oh, I met, like, David Bowie, and he, like, told me this, and I'm just, like, like you know, keeping my cool about it. I'm like, that's, you know, mm-hmm. that's profound, Ella. That's mm-hmm. stuff that, you know, you're on the legend level, so you can make yeah. a difference with your platform. And she did she did try to make a difference in her platform abroad and, uh, you know, domestically. I think we worked on a campaign. She couldn't vote yet, but she was trying to get young people out to vote. So she was continuously doing things that mattered. Yeah. Um, and but also like we didn't really restrict her or uh, like curate her in any way. It was all authentically her, which I think doesn't always happen with pop level artists. And I think that's what people loved is this authenticity. So now you see artists like Benny and you see artists like Billie Eilish and they're celebrated. I think Lord paved the path for those artists. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. So, um, I mean, can you give me an example of like a day in the life of Lord's manager? Like what kind of stuff? I'm, what does that entail? Uh, busy. <laughs> <laughs> um, sure. I mean, I wasn't the only one. It's me, um, Scott McLaughlin and Tim Youngston. And then we had a day-to-day manager, Amy Goldsmith. Yeah. And and so we were all d- doing different aspects of it because right. there's so much to do. Um and also we had a couple other artists too, but Lord was the main focus, of course. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, I think the difference really between a developing manager and being the manager of Lord is that you have to say no a lot. Mm-hmm. So you're getting requests. Like I felt like the majority of my job was like fielding through requests sure. and saying no, which I hate because that's the fun part for me for management is trying all these new different mm-hmm. things and like trying to revolutionize things and trying things out to see if they work. Mm-hmm. So when you go from zero to winning and you're already winning you have to say no but then you have to focus on like what's great about that is that you're focusing on the actual um content like what's coming out you know who are you going to work with producer wise like what's the sound do you need time to be a person like that you know like Mm -hmm. just more like raw creative level things Mm -hmm. um and all the nitty-gritty stuff becomes you know not as important. Mm-hmm. So th- I, it's hard to say because a day in the life of a manager for everyone is like a new day every day. Right, right. Different projects all the time, I'm mm-hmm. sure. That's interesting, saying no to a lot of people. That's, that's probably something that a lot of us might not have thought of. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, well said. And it probably especially at Lord's uh, level. Uh, so and then, I mean, what what were you up to? I mean, so you worked with Lord for what? You said two and a half years? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so so what was that like, and what was the transition after that? Yeah, so it was interesting. So I was only supposed to be there for six months as a consultant on how Scott McLaughlin should run a management, like, company, mm-hmm. and then just automatically, because she went from zero to a million, became mm-hmm. a manager as well. It was almost like, fire drill, let's get on this, let's yeah, work on this. Yeah. So <clears throat> it started to calm down after the record cycle was done, which was such a big record cycle because it was so big, so at about two and a half years, and then I was like, all right, well, this is what I was here for. Mm-hmm. 
Right. And also at that point, I felt like she needed to move on to better management because this was someone who was new to, and it wasn't what I wanted to do mm-hmm. <laughs> for a living. I was just coming to take an island break. Yeah, yeah. Um, and so she did move on to crush management, who is crushing it. No, yeah. I'm not yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, So I'm so glad for that. Um, so what I wanted to do, uh, you know, with myself is is mix music and mix this this break, I guess, quote unquote, break together. And for me, that's touring. So yeah. I love touring, and I wanted to that always. I think. I felt like throughout this time and learning about music, that was the field in which I really wanted to go into. And so I had an opportunity to be the representative of New Zealand for artists that came in. So that was Odessa, um, Courtney Barnett, Ray Schrimmer was probably my Mm -hmm. favorite one. Um, Who else? There was a bunch of artists that came into New Zealand and Australasia, and I'd be like kind of like the cultural translator, and Mm -hmm. I would take them to the venues. I would make sure their sound was set up, that they got paid, that they got to their hotels, mm-hmm. but I'd also take them on adventures. Fun. So we'd go to like the beach or we'd go on a hike or I'd show them around town or if they wanted to go to the mall, they wow. would go to the mall. So, <laughs> so who would you work for at that point? Um, It was, it's indep- it was independent, but now I think it's, now I think it's New Zealand Live Nation. Okay. okay. So it was independent, Live Nation came and took it okay. over, but when I was there, it was yeah. just an independent um, company, which I can't remember the name of right now um so i did that but that actually led to more touring opportunities for me abroad so i ended up taking australasian artists and taking them to europe Mm -hmm. and to america so i had thompson marlon williams and stella donnelly and then through that i met the um secretly canadian people and they kind of recommend me always for intro like kind of any international band coming into America, Mm -hmm. I'm like the translator, I guess, for them Mm -hmm. in that sense of culture. Mm -hmm. And so I was offered Porridge Radio, but of course the pandemic happened. Mm -hmm. And then I did Jamila Woods too. Mm -hmm. And so that was a lot of fun. Nice. Yeah. So, uh, and then you ended up back in Wisconsin. Is that what happened after that? Uh, No. Okay. (laughs) That's right. That's right. No, there was something very different in there. Yeah. So uh, after a while, too, you know, there was like a lull in tours for some reason. I can't remember. Um, And I have a friend, uh, Daisy, who works in film. Mm -hmm. Um, Her mom is a well-known figure in film. I won't say her name just because. That's fine. She'll be mad. (laughs) Um, But she knows I went to New Zealand originally. I chose that country to go and take a break at because I like diving with sharks. Okay. And they have great whites there that kind of do the, I call them the air jaws. Mm -hmm. But they circle around Stewart Island, the southern tip of New Zealand. For some reason, no one knows. They call it the center of the earth for great whites. Mm -hmm. And so that's originally why I went there. So Daisy goes, hey, Aisha, you don't have any work right now. There's a film um, cause New Zealand's like mini Hollywood. There's a tax credit there. So a lot oh. of films are, are made there. And she was like, well, there's this film with sharks. Do you want to work on it? They need someone to tell them about shark behavior. And I was like, well, I'm not a scientist or an expert. And she's like, whatever, just come and work on this film. Um, and I ended up like peeing in the editing and, and visual effects and, uh, data reeling, um, because I knew about sharks. Yeah. And so I could put some input here and there and worked on the, the, the movie, which is now called the Meg, if you've okay. ever seen it. So I fell into film a little bit huh. and then, um, people really liked me. They wanted me to work on this TV series called Ash vs. Evil Dead. Mm-hmm. 
And I was the prop spire for that. So I'd buy <laughs> weapons and mm-hmm. they would cast them or like create different uh, types of blood or other disgusting things cool. that you probably don't want me to talk about. Yeah, yeah. So, but it was a lot of fun. Um, and I love horror, so that was fun. Cool. And then I flew to LA because they made me uh, take, they do this thing where you literally buy a seat for the film and you fly it to the studio in LA and they pick you up in a car and they, you deliver it directly to the studio. It's really old school. Um, so I did that and I was in LA and ended up working on the series Atypical in the arts department okay. um, for Netflix. So I, I went on a film derailment, okay, which was fun to be creative and, and nice. work on films. Yeah, and yeah. I worked on some short films out in LA too um, that went to Sundance and, and all of that stuff. So I kind of dived into that um, and then I had a, <laughs> the story is crazy and ridiculous and not everything in between here too. I was a radio host in New Zealand okay. and I, I DJed many festivals and venues all through Australasia. Um, never a dull moment. Yeah, never. I mean, just, <laughs> I get bored easily. I started a Motown group as well called oh, the Swagettes. Seriously? And, yeah. And there was, there was seven, seven people who didn't normally sing. I kind of taught them how to sing, rearrange some of the songs and we had dance moves and outfits and it cool. was really fun. So I did a lot of different things and amongst my band Skucks in, in all of this too. Um, but end this journey, like, yeah, never a dull moment because I just can't sit still. I'm one yeah. of those people. I get it. Mm-hmm. I'm, and I think that's why, you know, we get along well is because I, I feel that same. And I, but I love it. And yours is like at a whole different level, though, because <laughs> I never went anywhere besides the U.S. So. <laughs> well, the pandemic definitely calmed yeah. me down. But but this, the other part of this journey, this is why I, I kind of say there's different parts of me because there's the music stuff. There's the creator stuff. There's the artist mm-hmm. Um, film stuff, and then there's the wildlife. Mm-hmm. So while I was in, while Atypical was ending, I was looking for another job. I always wanted to go to Alaska. I must have watched a show or something, and I was like, that looks like New Zealand mm-hmm. of America. I ah. want to check that out. And my friend had um, a chef job available on a boat that goes from Washington through the Inside Passage of Canada into Alaska. Um, and I was like, no way, I'm, I can't cook. I don't know how to cook. And then I thought about it. I was like, you know what? <laughs> Sounds too cool to pass up, yeah. though. So I did a phone interview with the owners of the boat. They were like, you sound cool. I practiced cooking for That's like crazy. two months. And then I just went on this boat. And it was uh, the he's the world delegate for gray whale protection. He's like a marine biologist. Okay. And there's a land biologist. So I learned about like flora and fauna and science. I deckhanded. I drove the boat sometimes. I did like... I got trained for bear safety and excursion, um, like teaching people how to like walk on uncharted territory and like protect them. And I chefed the boat and we went all the way up to Alaska. Yeah. And then they kept talking about the salmon run and how amazing the salmon run is and, and how essential it is to Alaska and all the commercial fishermen that are part of like getting salmon. And I did that for a month as well. After the boat, after the boat excursion, I found someone who needed a month a month's work of working on a salmon saner and I did that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and then I ended up in Kodiak, Alaska and stayed there and chefed at a restaurant and did some bear uh, guiding and excursions. Yeah. And then I came back to Milwaukee. Yeah, (laughs) that's wild. But but then but you were is you were a ranger out there as well. Yeah. So after so after that season, I actually came back to 
Tasmania and New Zealand for a little while. I had a surgery. And then um, while I was out there, I, I found out my dad was sick and I came back to right. Milwaukee. That was it. And then after he had passed of, um, he had a rare cancer sure. that I came back and, and, and that's when I was volunteering at 88.9 yeah. as like a creative abbreviment. Um, I got an offer as a ranger back in Kodiak where I'd ended up after this amazing like salmon fishing bear guiding excursion yeah. life um, and was a, uh, was a park ranger in Kodiak, Alaska, which is where the largest bears in the world are yeah. and protected um, the people from the bears, bears from people and the natural resources of the land for the Fish and Wildlife Service. Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, what's it like going from, you know, crazy busy, you know, world traveling music industry insider to like park ranger in Alaska. I mean, that's just such a wild difference. Yeah. I, it's this weird dichotomy of like, um, you know, it's, I always have a paw on music. Mm -hmm. Like it never goes away. And even if I try to leave it, it will come Mm back. Mm -hmm. Um, being a ranger, you know, I don't know. I think that's just like, sometimes you need because I'm someone who's always moving and always going and mm-hmm. flowing, I feel like these types of people, my type of person mm-hmm. is not someone who sits still and is mindful. Mm-hmm. And so it kind of forces me to do that. Mm-hmm. Um, if I'm doing a park ranger position, you're more aware, you're in nature, there's not a mm-hmm. lot of sound, you have to be fully alert, but you're also just being self-mindful by being in, t- in tune with nature. Mm-hmm. And I think that evens me out. If yeah. I could find, and I will find one day, a way to put these things together, that would be the dream, you know? Yeah, absolutely. That is so cool. And uh, and then, I mean, you're going to be, uh, now you're you're in radio uh, a little bit more so than you have been Yeah. Uh, currently. Can you tell us about what some of the, the projects that you have going on right now? Well, kind of in that vein, you know, I was thinking, I was like, I love all these different mm-hmm. facets of life. And I feel like radio is an industry where you can kind of live many lives. Mm-hmm. You can tell stories of other people living lives that you're curious about and you can play music and mm-hmm. uh, you can connect with people and contribute greater than yourself. And Mm -hmm. so that's when I started looking to the radio. And while I was a park ranger, that's when Radio Milwaukee asked me to apply for that Mm -hmm. full-time afternoon host Mm -hmm. and promotions director. Um, So of course Mm -hmm. I did that for over a year during the pandemic Mm -hmm. and was the first female and first uh, brown afternoon Mm -hmm. full-time host at Mm -hmm. WYMS, which of course, as you know, I lost that position due to the pandemic, which is now filled by Justin Barney. And yeah, and so since then, yeah, I've dived more into radio and Mm -hmm. connected with more radio people in non-commercial and commercial radio Mm -hmm. doing storytelling. Mm -hmm. So for WPR, NPR's Wisconsin Life, Mm -hmm. I've done a few stories on very unique people within the Wisconsin community. Um, Like I did a profile on Classic on The Space, The Heist, and I'm working on a piece about how my parents met 43 years ago at Victor's. That's Uh, so cool. And I interviewed for a position at KEXP that was 10 hours a week. And um, I didn't realize that it would only be 10 hours a week forever and always. Mm So um, they ended up going with someone else, but asking if I would do some freelance, which Mm -hmm. is a huge honor. So I've been working on a piece on what it's been like in New Zealand's music industry during the pandemic. Mm -hmm. Um, And I've been doing mixes for a few other very great and amazing uh, non-commercial stations Mm -hmm. and seeing where that takes me. Um, cause I just 
love radio. So mm-hmm. that's kind of what I've been working on. That is so cool. I love it. And uh, and you're going to be continuing to do that uh, sort of as a, at a freelance level, but um, going back to, to, to nature soon, too. Yeah. So, so, you know, it's been rough, the the market, you know, in media right now. So I've explored a few opportunities, but I think, you know, to there's no better place to wait out a pandemic other than Alaska mm-hmm. in my mind. So I've got offered to be a seasonal ranger again in Kodiak. So I'll be doing that from May to October. Uh, but while I'm there, I am actually going to be doing some radio for the commercial station mm-hmm. over there at KVOK. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm going to continue to do freelance while I'm over yeah. there. And I've also connected with Carmel Holt, who does an amazing show called She Rose, um, who's been kind of giving me like tips and insights. She's an amazing human being. Um, so I'm going to keep my pause on radio yeah. so that hopefully by October things will open up more and I can contribute to a station in a more meaningful and impactful way. Yeah, that's really, really cool. Thank you so much for sharing all of that. So so um, you mentioned, uh, you know, you as a brown person, you know, had all like, so So, what is your background? What is your ethnicity? Yeah, I'm, I'm Indian and Persian. Okay, that is so cool. Yeah. So, yeah, I did not know that. So, and, and then you being female, I mean, so tell us, like, from your perspective, what being in the music business has been like. Have there been any sort of, um, I don't know, sort of times where the industry has been difficult because of those situations or maybe even beneficial because of those? I feel like I feel like I have an interesting and different perspective because maybe mine isn't as self-aware about like maybe I didn't get an opportunity because I was a woman. I don't know that that has happened or I've noticed that happened, but I was raised in a way where I had my brown immigrant dad who just looked like just was equal like that's how he carried himself um, with everyone around him and I was lucky enough and I had only thought about this recently because I did a panel on women in music I feel like I've been doing those for like 15 mm-hmm. years which is sad that it, we have to keep doing them mm-hmm. right right <laughs> but um, you know I didn't think about this before but I had you know it'd be middle-aged men were always my my bosses, Mm -hmm. but they always treated me with the utmost respect. When I think about it though, they were all either immigrants or minorities. So perhaps uh, with their disparities, they paid it forward with Mm me, um, giving me the opportunities that I had all the way up to today. And and I try and do that myself and I hope I can be in a position um, again to do that for Mm -hmm. other young people kind of who don't have those opportunities or are treated differently. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I do feel like I've been lucky, but I have seen, um, you know, Lord was a good example, actually. She she would bring to the table things I didn't notice. She, for example, like we had a commercial that was with all these legends like mm-hmm. Bowie, Elton John, whatever, and they wanted her spot to be her singing, sitting on a piano. Mm-hmm. And she wrote me back and she was like, ugh, they always have a woman sitting on the piano. I don't want to sit on a piano. And yeah. I didn't even think about it that way. And I was like, oh, okay, I see how things are positioned in ways that are, you yeah. know, it's curated in a certain way. And that, you know, I paid more attention from, from then on to be like, oh, oh, yeah, they're trying to make you this thing. We're not going to let you get to choose. You're the artist. You're creative. Um, let's change things. Like young minds change things and see these things that I might not have seen. Um, but I don't think I felt any direct 
I'm sure there are times. I'm sure there are times I've been treated, but I can't think of anything yeah. right yeah. now. And that's okay. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's good to hear. Uh, that, yeah. that means that there is progress because that is, I mean, I've certainly heard other people who are older, uh, other women who are older who have not said the same thing. So uh, that that's great to hear. And then also, I mean, uh, how what is the balance of women versus men in the industry from your from your point of view? It depends on which industry. Yeah, um, which part of it. Radio yeah. industry is is very, you know, significant it's i i had the stats before but i think it's something like uh like less than 30 percent of women on the radio Mm -hmm. and then take that down to women of color it's like less than five percent or people of color in general um it is still uneven sure it is definitely still uneven and it and it kind of makes me you know, I, I don't know if it's I think it's great that there are things out there like uh, Girls Rock Camp and, you know, She Rose Radio and um, all these panels and discussions. I just I'm just hoping for that day where we where it's just normalized, like that we're equal. Like if you're good enough for this position, you should be considered for this position and to for people to be more mindful that like, hey, oh, yeah, most of our day is men. So maybe we should fill mm-hmm. in a woman host or um, like. Well, Radio Milwaukee is a great example of they have now Dory's the program director, which there's almost no like female program directors in radio. So that's awesome to see that and see certain stations trying to mm-hmm. see this more, see the opportunity and change it. Mm-hmm. I do think the conversation is happening, but it's still um, we're not equal yet. And you often see I think this is something I notice and it's just, I don't know any stats or anything, but my, I personally notice when I'm in an office of managers or agents and stuff, you mostly see women in the secretarial kind Mm -hmm. of positions still trying to work up to those main positions. I do see them work up Mm -hmm. to the main positions, but I don't often see uh, male assistants as much. Hmm. So I went and got one when I was in in management (laughs) just to see, cause also, you know, there's young kids who, you know, probably I like, I, maybe this is, a weird way of thinking, but maybe there are some men who want those positions too. And right. we can kind of like even this out and, and look past maybe uh, a societal blanket that's been given to us. Cause maybe it's something we just naturally do without being mindful. But I do think this moment in time in the pandemic has given us time to think and be more mindful and maybe look mm-hmm. at things a little differently. And when the opportunities are there, change it till we gradually get this equality. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Very well said. And, uh, what are some of the lessons that you've learned along the way? Just, oh, well, to get ahead or to just, just generally? Just in general, yeah. I think the number one lesson that people, you know, that has helped me get ahead is just looking at people that I admire in careers and positions you might have not known existed before. Um, and when you find out, oh, that's the path I want, I want to be a manager or, mm-hmm. or an agent or an artist, that actually those people are accessible to you. Mm-hmm. If you want to know how they got there, they'd probably be flattered to hear that you'd want an informational interview with them. Mm-hmm. And now you have reached out to this person, you've gained access to this person, you're now in their network, and they're going to think about you mm-hmm. when there's an opportunity to lift you up. So mm-hmm. basically, I guess my biggest lesson learned is 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 just to ask. Mm -hmm. So if you see someone you admire, hit them up, ask for their story, and keep connected. Yeah, absolutely. Um, Yeah, and 
that's a great idea for a, like a solo show that I like to do on here. Um, you know, always ask because people are more willing to talk to you than you think. Um, Absolutely. Uh, yeah, and more often than that, the answer is going to be yes. Um, uh, great advice. Um, what would you tell uh, someone who is currently looking to do what you're doing, uh, either in radio or in management? Like just tell like of how to get there. Yeah, how to get there. Ooh. Um... Radio radio is hard because even though I've been in radio for a while in, in a few different countries, it's it's an interesting and unique beast because it depends on if you're looking at commercial and non-commercial. Mm -hmm. But there are lots of like conventions mm -hmm. uh, like non-com is coming up. Mm -hmm. um, being a part of that, listening to panels, seeing who the players are, seeing where you'd want to be. Um, and reaching out to those people or looking on their websites for internship programs. There are more than you think out there. And now, you know, in the pandemic, there's a lot of virtual workshops and resources for people. And there's so many sections you can go off into, like podcasting like this, to mm -hmm. news, to music radio. So it's kind of like looking for those resources because there's new ones every day. Mm -hmm. uh, for management... Like I said, I, I would go through the, the test of do you want to eat, breathe, and live that mm -hmm. artist first. Um, if you just want to gain experience, I would, I would offer saying like managers are probably some of the most busy people in the world. Uh, if you can bring to them like something that you can add if you want to intern, just you have to have – I feel like if you're going to reach out, know everything about that artist first. Um, look up that manager, maybe do the informational interview with that manager and offer them something you have to add that they might not have thought of. Like maybe mm -hmm. you're like me, I'm terrible at TikTok. I haven't even looked at TikTok. <laughs> so if you're like, oh, I could set up your TikTok in mm -hmm. two seconds, like bring bring some extra skill to the table that might get their attention to maybe get that internship or mm -hmm. um, even even a contract of a month to help out for a month with that mm -hmm. artist. That's more appealing and digestible. And then make yourself um, irreplaceable. Mm -hmm. That's what that would be my best suggestion, knowing how busy artist managers mm -hmm. are. Mm -hmm. Yeah, really great suggestions. And I love asking people like you who seem to have a lot of irons in the fire, a lot of things happening. How do you keep organized? <laughs> Google Calendar. Yeah. That's it for me, honestly. Or I'll be like, Alexa, tell me to do this. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Maybe that's disorganized. But it, for me, it's it's alarms. And, and uh, like even I'll be like, oh, well you know, seven days out, I'll be like, did you do this? And then like three, every three days or something. Yeah, that's, that's right. how I do it. Um, I do, I feel like it's my greatest strength and my greatest, uh, downfalls. I just say yes to everything. Um, because I think that's where you connect with mm -hmm. more and you never know what's going to happen. I think it's a great thing, but time management is hard for that. So for me, it's just go only Google calendar. So yeah, yeah. somehow that keeps me in check. That's great. Hey, keep it simple. Uh, what did you do before Alexa and Google calendars? Do you remember that time period? I wrote notes. I had so <laughs> many notes. Um, probably, yeah, yeah, a yeah. lot of post-its yeah. on like my computer and just like on a, like there was always a piece of paper next to my yeah. computer. So, yeah. and you know, and hopefully someone else keeping me in check. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Um, and then I was going to ask you, do you have like a particular favorite gig that you've ever been around? Yeah. Uh, my favorite gig was when I was 17 and it was in Tinley Park in Illinois outside of Chicago. Uh -huh. Um, and it was the Curiosa Music Festival. 
Okay. And it was my favorite because me and my friend, Joe Vella, we got there at doors open. We ran to the front middle of the stage and we knew the cure was going to play uh, that evening as as the headliner. So we wanted to be right in right in front. Eleven hours we waited. But through those eleven hours, we discovered all of our new favorite bands at this festival. It was like Piebald and it was Seeger Ross and Interpol and just all these great kind of like dark indie rock bands, which is what I was into at the time and still into some of those bands. and they engaged with us because we were in the front. We played Hacky Sack with Seeger Ross. Um, <laughs> they asked us questions about town, uh, different bands. Um, you know, I think, you know, I was a 17-year-old girl, so I think someone from Interpol looked into my eyes, and I was yeah. like, ah. Um, and we got Robert Smith to play Love Cats, which he wasn't going to play before because we were chanting and we were very annoying about it. Um, and he did this whole thing like the... Uh, rolled his eyes and like talked to his yeah. drummer and then he's like for you three in the front like yeah and yeah. it was just a big moment because he's such a legend and and one of our all-time favorite artists yeah so that yeah. was my favorite festival awesome yeah that's that, that is so cool um and then you know i forgot to ask a, an important question that i wanted to ask um you know, this this is a podcast that's really directed at musicians and those in the industry. So you've worked with some really high-level musicians. How do you think, what's the secret to getting to where they're at? Yeah, that's a good question because there is no real answer to that question. Right. Um, I always say it's a lot of hard work and a little bit of luck. Yeah. Luck, I do think, is part of it. Right, you know, right place, right time. Um you know, right people, but that's why you have to say yes to a Mm -hmm. lot of things. Mm -hmm. The other thing is just honestly, like think of, think of, you know, radio doesn't necessarily always choose what is curated. It's the people who choose it now Mm -hmm. because you have Spotify playlisting, you have like Apple music. This is you choosing what you want to listen to, right? So if your music is good, it will cut through the noise. And I really, truly believe that. That goes back to that word of mouth and that being the most powerful thing. If your music is good, it will cut through the noise. Mm -hmm. And that's all I can say. Yeah. But it is a lot of hard work. Yes. (laughs) Yes. Absolutely. There's no question about that. And then will you tell us about the song that you submitted on her way by Skux, by your band? Yeah. um, I submitted that song because, okay, my joke about my band Skux is that we're world famous in New Zealand, just like <laughs> L&P, which is a soda there that has the tag, they're world famous in New Zealand. Yeah. That's why you've never heard of it. <laughs> um, but yeah, I created a band Skux out of a joke. Um, for six hours, me and, me and a bunch of friends played some music. And then our friend who owns a venue in New Zealand was like, play. And then we're like, oh, well, this song is good. Um, let's just put it out there. And it went to number one for nine weeks in New Zealand. And that was on her way. Um, and that song is like my, per- when I was touring all the time, that was my like inner journey song. That was about me kind of traveling the world, um, but also just traveling, uh, figuring out who I am. And yeah, I mean, that's Skucks. It's yeah. really strange, but I, so I have a kind of a small, music career as a musician as Skux, and I'm going to be including some Milwaukee musicians on my next song, so I'm very excited. I look forward to that. (laughs) I wonder who they are. (laughs) That's awesome. So thank you so much for for letting us hear that, and uh, anything else that we missed that you'd like to talk about? Um, No, just, you know, I know this pandemic is hard, and, Mm -hmm. you know, you just got to keep innovating, keep 
keep busy. You might find the new next way that we all connect together. I think connecting is so important. So if you can do that through your music and through your art and even through your industry, mm -hmm. that's only going to give you good. Mm -hmm. Really well said. Thank you so much, Aisha Jaffer, for being here today. Yeah. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah. All right. Have a good one. grateful for the support of Rachel Bain of Verona, Wisconsin. Thank you for being a patron. Thank you so much for listening. We hope you'll leave ratings and reviews for us wherever you're listening from. Visit themusiciansventure.com for more information on upcoming guests, show notes, and ways to send us your topic suggestions. 
The Musicians Venture Podcast is hosted by Allison M., recorded at Podcast Town in Wauwatosa, Wisconsin, produced by Shannon Coulard, with theme music written and performed by Mike Neumeyer. Thanks again.